This week on Invasion, the podcast, someone other than Zack Snyder is destroying DC. Is The Undertaker's last ride worth it? And we will learn Steve's new in-ring persona tonight. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, and uh, somewhere for parts unknown, uh, it's it's Steve. I was going to come up with another thing to say about ring stuff, but I just I failed. I fall I fell on my keys there. Oh yes, it is I, Steve. Hello, everyone. Oh, see, I thought we were going to do a Paul Bear off later. Um, Maybe we will. I, you know, you do a good one. I was watching some videos with Paul Bear, who is who was the manager of the Undertaker. We're going to be talking tonight about the five parts, uh, five parts uh, documentary called "The Last Ride" that was about the the Undertaker, aka uh, Mark uh, Calloway. Um, I was, was going to say Galloway. I don't know. Uh, and it, it's going to be an interesting talk. Um, I don't know if five episodes was exactly what we needed, but it was there. But Paul Bear was in there. For a second, um, and I know Steve. Yeah, we could have yeah. saved it for later, but I just jumped the shark right away. I just jump right in, and I'm like, I'm gonna throw it out right at the beginning. Yeah, no, I just uh, maybe, maybe I'll try doing a Paul Bearer later. It's just like you got to hit that falsetto, and then you got to have that little bit of like you know wobbly. <laughs> but then I just wonder if like I, you know, we'll see. Uh, so yeah, that's what we're we'll talking about tonight. Uh, it is. It's one of those uh, rare wrestling shows that we get into every so often, uh, which is funny because it's one of the hashtags I used to tag the show. So I know that there's people out there that are like, oh, they talk about wrestling sometimes, you know, so whatever. <laughs> Wait till you get an hour in, folks. Yeah, it's going to get crazy. And then at the end, uh, we have a game in which uh, it I, I, I openly uh, stole from Steve's game from about a year ago, in which we made up a wrestler persona for me. We're going to make up one for Steve. I added some wrinkles to it, so it's a little different. It will be fun. Uh, so st- stay tuned for that. Like here, it's a radio station uh, after, you know, traffic on the fives, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, so hope you guys enjoyed our discussion last week about the old guard. That movie was solid. Um, if you've not checked it out, please watch it. Uh, I, I liked it a great deal. Uh, in regards to our weekends, uh, since now, now time is just a blur and things don't make sense anymore. Um, other than spending approximately 37 hours watching the undertaker documentary this weekend, um, we did sit down and watch, uh, the director's cut of Midsummer uh, for the first time since we saw it in the theater. Uh, it's a three hour cut of that movie and I was able to see all the subtitles this time. So highly enjoyable. Okay. I wasn't sure if, uh, you have that on Blu-ray, right? Or yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was like, I was trying to remember, uh, if the version that I have, which I believe you gifted me was the director's cut or not, but I, I think now that I think back on it, when when I watched it, I was like, oh, I know that there's like another half hour to this movie on the director's cut. So um, 
How uh, well? Let me start with that. Like, how was it? Was it a notice, noticeable improvement? Um, did it change your opinion of the film at all? Was there anything in there that you felt like, yeah, I can see why this was cut? What well, did you think? Well, I mean, considering that, like, we had seen the director's cut, like they had it like in the theater for like a week or two, real briefly, but then. The problems that night with the screening where they clipped the ends of the screens off so you couldn't see the subtitles was problematic because some of the new scenes, it's like, oh, they're talking. I have no idea what's going on. But you picked up some context. You figured it all out. Uh, the additional dialogue didn't necessarily shape you know, either way, uh, but it was nice to watch the film in the correct aspect ratio and just watch it. Um, since it had been, you know, what, a year since I'd seen it? Still a hell of a movie. Um, I think the half hour uh, accentuates um, what's already there and it provides more context in regards to why the students are doing what they're doing. And then it digs more into uh, the relationship between the main two people more. So you get more of that. So if you like uncomfortable relationship talk, the director's cuts for you. Um, but it also, it sews together the ending a lot better when you see the imagery of what's going on. Cause there's some stuff that was, cut out that you see at the end of the movie, but you don't understand why it's there. So they explain a little bit better as opposed to just being weird stuff's going on. Um, I, I adore the film. It's a challenging watch for me. Uh, so it's one of those ones that I, it, 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 I, it's not like when I say I adore it, I mean, I adore the audacity of it. I adore like the big swing it takes and the characters and, and everything. Um, you know, it's not like in my like top, like favorite movies. I respect the hell out of it. And it, it, it grows on me each time I watch it. It's just, you know, of the two movies I've seen from Ari Aster so far, hereditary for me is like, that's the one I want to keep coming back to just for the pure, like, you know, Ooh, this is good. Like, like good, scary movie. While uh midsummer's more like, this is just, you know, drink it in. It is, it is like, you know, artistry that happens to have a surprising amount of violent, um, gore in it. Yeah, I forgot completely that you had you'd cut one of the Cleveland cinema screenings, right? Of yeah. the director cut because I remember I didn't see uh, I hadn't I hadn't seen it in the theater, and I remember when they put out the director's cut, I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to start with the director's cut. I think I'd rather see the you know the actual version of the film first. So, um, well, you have yeah, Apple I, TV I, still, I, right? Do you guys still yeah, have that? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's available on there, I believe. It is. So. That's because the, they got they got North American exclusivity for the for the director's cut streaming wise. Because otherwise, you have to go uh, region free to to watch it. Which you know, thankfully, my wife got me a region free player a couple of Christmases ago. This is the first movie we've watched all the way through on it, so it worked. <laughs> like so, <laughs> I tell you that. Um, so yeah, it was uh, you know, it was just good to sit down and watch it. Oh, that's cool. Um, did you guys uh, do anything else this weekend? That's. I mean, I watched that's... Undertaker, and then I um, <laughs> I I played a bunch of World of Warcraft. So typical Paul life, I guess. You know, that's about it. <laughs> like nothing like this. Like normally, I'd be like, and I did this, and I did this, and it's like, no. Whenever half of your half of one of your days off is taken up by um, you know, whether the Undertaker is you know is is done or not, you know, it, it takes up a lot of time. And I'm not complaining about it. It's just. I sat down with the, with the intention of being like, you know, I'll watch a couple episodes today. I'll watch a couple episodes tomorrow and then I'll get through the week. That was the plan. And then I was just like, Oh, they ended on enough of a, like not cliffhanger, but just like, okay, I got to see what happens next. Even though I knew 
a lot of the match outcomes and some of the, the things going on around his life and the, you know, his last part of his career, it, I, I was really, really just like, I got to see like the, the, the reality around it. So it just, it sucked up my day. That's, that's, I, I, that's interesting. I actually watched it a little bit more like sparsely, um, over time. Uh, but, uh, we can get into, I, I I don't know that I necessarily felt that there were cliffhangers. I had some problems with it, and we'll we'll talk about that once we actually get into the documentary proper. Cliffhangers isn't the right word. It just it just leaves you like and knowing the peaks and valleys of the last couple of years for him. It's like I knew what was coming mm-hmm. next. I'm like I got I got to see where they're going with this. You know, in terms of not I don't know. It's, it, we'll talk more about it when we get there, guys. So give it just fast forward I, ahead three hours. We'll start talking about it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my weekend was uh, not too dissimilar to yours, except I didn't take in as much Undertaker as you did. Um, I did, however, and this is uh, this may be shocking to some of you at home, but I uh, I watched some Batman this weekend, and uh, I had actually never watched more than probably two episodes of this show because I didn't have access to it at the time, and it's just one that I haven't gotten to. Uh, but I picked up uh, the complete series of Batman Brave and the Bold. Um, Paul, are you familiar with that iteration? It's more of like the fun. It's like the, it's like not it's like Marvel team up, right? A little bit. Yeah, it's it's like Marvel team up and it's it's 60s and not Adam West Batman specifically, but like 60s Dick Sprang sort of fun, crazy um over the top Batman that you uh, would see. I mean, it's, it's not nearly as crazy as those like fifties and sixties stories before like Neil Adams comes along, but it's, it's in that vein. It's very silver age Batman. And it it is every episode's a team up. Um, Two things. One, the show is amazing. Uh, It's really, really good. Uh, It's fun. It knows what it is. But they also find in like subtle ways to keep it very Batman-ishy in a lot of ways. Well, it's obviously it's Batman, so they have to. But I mean, more uh, it it it's silly without going overboard. Okay. Um, and we talked, you know, a lot of times on the show about the voice of Batman, and I have to I have to hand it to Diedrich Bader, who is the voice of Batman in the series. It's a really good version. It's 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 not Kevin Conroy because that's you know, as high up as you can go, but uh, of the other actors that I've heard voice Batman, I'm like, Diedrich Bader really gets it. He gets the version of Batman that he's doing. And I think that adds to it. And that, that not only adds to it, but also there are things in the show, like they, (laughs) Batman calls his, his hands, the, or his fists, the, the hammers of justice. (laughs) And (laughs) um, one of the, like more frequent um, appearance heroes that show up to help him out is Aquaman and it's voiced by Jean DiMaggio. So it's nice. It's fun stuff. That sounds fun. Yeah. I'm glad that, that there could be some fun Batman out there and it sounds like it's really well done. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I realize it's, it's 10 years old, I think at this point, but uh, I haven't seen any of these episodes and it's really nice to just be like, I get to sit down with a Batman series and just enjoy. And I, that hasn't happened because I've seen so much of, you know, everything that's been put out over the last 30 years. It's this weird spot that I, I haven't seen these, these episodes. So I'm, I'm really excited. I think there's 65 completely in the series. 
And, you know, I think I've watched 10 all, all, all together. But I've got like uh, 50 episodes of Brave and the Bold to look forward to. So nice. I forgot to tell you, um, I don't know if you saw this out in the wild. Uh, and we've talked about this uh, other in uh, Midsummer's, not not no pun intended about Midsummer, uh, about how Halloween creeps in and punches August in the face. Um, yeah. The monster cereals are out in the stores now. Have you seen these? Like, like your your yearly allotment of monster cereals is out there waiting for you to go get. <laughs> I will have to keep that under consideration. I, I hate to say it that like uh, I feel like I'm so privileged in, in a sense, but like I literally have not gone into a store unless I absolutely had to. The only store that I've been in in four months is Spencer's that- Gifts. <laughs> Well, they have sweet posters. Um, <laughs> and three and a half foot tall uh, penises, too, that you can run out with, I, I guess. I don't know. I, just... <laughs> I was just going to say also dildos. But, um, the, uh, um, I forgot where I was going. They're the only store you've been in recently. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the only store that I went in, you know, I went to the comic book store because I was like, I need to try and get out and be normal. Um, but honestly, I... Every like grocery pickup we've done has been curbside pickup. Yeah, m- my wife and I've been talking about doing that. It's just and, and it's it's the safer, smarter move. A hundred thousand percent, I you know, dead on. It's just my one weekly trip out like to the grocery store is like my little like anchor of sanity. Even though while I'm in there pissed off at everybody, it's like I get to grab a shopping cart and move around for a second, and I'm not in my house. Like it's. It's a thing for me, and but I found the monster cereals and what you know talking about you know your your Frankenberries, blueberries, Count Choculas, no yummy mummies or fruit brutes to be seen, but um, yeah, I picked up some boxes for my wife because I just knew that if you know if I didn't, I would uh, there there would be punishment. So there's some sitting downstairs right now, uh, staring at me, letting me know that it's it's still August. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, I I always look forward to uh, when the monster cereals come out. And then the other thing that it's completely, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. But I love it when they put out the you know orange uh, colored stuff, um, Halloween Oreos. Like I don't know why <laughs> those get me, but every year I'm like I gotta buy the the Halloween Oreos. All all it is is some some orange dye in the white cream. But yeah, you know, whatever. I, I see those, and I'm. I, I those are the two things that I instantly pick up when they first pop up in stores. Well, it's it's, it's funny because everyone's like like um, I, like this past weekend when we watched Midsummer, we did have like one or two people over. We stayed 37 feet away from each other. Uh, we had tin cans and string talking to one another like in the living room. Um, we there. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh, there was a beer a couple of years ago. It was a uh, is a um, brewer called uh, Traveler. They had a uh, curious traveler, elusive traveler, like is these different shandies and different beers. They had a, a pumpkin one called Jacko traveler that was just wonderful. And then the, the Jacko, sorry, the traveler company collapsed. I don't know. I don't know beers, but um, Sam Adams has released a new run of Jacko beer. And so you can find it in the stores. It's wonderful. Uh, my wife brought it home and I was with talking to a couple people and they're like, well, look at you. It's like, normally you're all angry whenever, you know, Halloween and fall stuff starts showing up. And I'm like, you're right. 2020 can just turn up and be over with though. So bring it. Like I'm talking like, put the gas down. Like, Oh, Halloween's here. Cool. Is Christmas next week. Cool. Are we done now? Like, I'm just, I'm not going to bitch about anything. Show like, pumpkin spice me right now. That just tells me the end is near. 
pumpkin spice me right now. That sounds oddly dirty, so I'm going to leave that go. The spice must but, flow all over me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm starting to get that itch for Halloween. Uh, Kathy has presented me a couple times. She's like, can we just start decorating for, for Halloween now? And I'm like, no, let's. Let's wait, because there is that thing, too, where, like, you get so into it before it happens, and then, like, October's here, and you're like, oh, I'm already Halloweened out. That really doesn't happen, but it's a possibility. Yeah, so, anyway, yeah, uh, uh, fall shit and Halloween shit's out there, so uh, the, the, those of you are excited, be excited. And at least I get, I get, at least I get, like, October beers now, and there's some good ones out there. I'm, I'm just... The thing is with October beers, like especially like pumpkin, it's like, you know, double digit APV. So you're like, this is tasty. I guess I'm falling asleep now, you know, so, um, but whatever. Anyway, that, that the weekend was having some Halloween beers, uh, celebrating Midsommar, you know, um, and, uh, and watching a lot of, uh, Mark Calloway get operated on. So that was my whole weekend. Yep. I spent my weekend watching the hammers of justice. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for the weekends. Just let's uh, now that we've talked about um, you know Batman and everything, there's there's not possibly anything news related that will will tie into this at all. And now for our that's the wrong button. All right, good good job, Paul. Good news, everyone. I finally had a decent segue and my hammers of justice fail me, you know? So <laughs> that's what happened. I'd there. say that that's now actually an even better segue because you were able to lean into that. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I'll, I'll let you take, take this one. Cause this, this is kind of some, this is some really big news, you know? So yeah. Uh, DC comics is laid off reportedly a third of its editorial staff, including their editor in chief. Um, there were also massive hits that happened over on the side of the people who were running the DC universe app. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that app, uh, as we talk about the story, but, uh, there've been some big shakeups at DC and it's very, the timing is very odd to me because we just got done talking about the fact that next week, I think, uh, maybe it's a week and a half away at this point, but they're doing their big DC fandom event. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand like having this giant shakeup at it, their company, like a week and a half before they're supposed to be doing this comic con version of their own, or their, their own version of a comic con for DC. Like it seems weird to me. Would you rather it happen before or like the week after everybody gets excited for all these projects <laughs> and it's like, gone everybody like 30 you're out like so that's fair i i guess i guess i i think of um and i i didn't watch it even though now it's going to get a second season i think on cw was this the the swamp thing show that they did the first episode aired and they announced they were canceling it so i'm like well why is there any investment for people to like watch this now <laughs> like why what is what is the reason behind them to watch this? Why would you do this? Why would you make this announcement after the first episode premieres? Like, 
it's only I think it was like a ten episode series. They could have just waited for it to be done and then said like, yeah, we're not bringing it back. But yeah, I think it was some of the the people that were behind creating it. They I think they're the ones that pushed that story out there because they were pissed about all the different like state. There was supposed to be some like funding monies or incentives promised by the state, and it just became this whole thing and. Yeah, I could see how maybe they're like, you guys like this? Well, it's not around anymore. Go yell at people. You know, I could see that one. But yeah. it's like, this one's a little weird. But I, I, so in terms of like the creative talent behind uh, DC Comics, I know you could speak better that than I can. Um, but in regards to the DC, was it the, what's the name of the app? DC Universe? Is that it? Yeah, I think it's yeah. just the DC Universe. Um, that seems odd to me because they've there's been these warning signs all along. Like I mentioned to you last week that Harley Quinn seasons one and two are on HBO um, max now, which by the way, mm-hmm. I watched the first episode of that. You get over like the sudden F bombs that just show up. Um, Cause you're like, Oh, I get it. You guys can be R rated. If it, even through the first episode, it finds its groove a little better. Um, Poison Ivy is great in that. So I'm hoping to watch more of it, but so that's on there. Doom patrols on there. Um, Star Girl, which was supposed to be a DC Universe exclusive, went immediately to the CW. Which I don't know if it was because they knew they wouldn't have content because of like you know the the pandemic, or because they felt like hey, this is actually a little higher caliber show than budget wise than we've been putting out for the CW. So let's flagship this and get this out there. So a lot of and and uh, Titans, I think Titans is also on HBO uh, Max now too. So it's like there's a lot of like. A lot of the their, the signature content was being spread out amongst other portions of um you know what, um you know was it Viacom not Viacom whoever is it Viacom that owns HBO whatever anyway, the big company owns everything, um Warner Media that's it uh it was getting it was already getting gutted and so it's like what do you like what do you do you know so people I saw some people are actually worried now that the the only reason they actually have DC Universe is for like the archival comics that they can take and read all the runs. So that's the big thing. I see people are concerned. Like, do we still get to read comics? Like, I don't know. Yeah. So I had flirted with, I, I flirted with DC universe more than once, but, uh, yeah. she never took the bait. Uh, no, I, I, I looked at the service and I, I wondered like, oh, is there enough there to get me on board? I own, you know, all the series that I love. I own the movies that I love. Um, the thing that would probably be the most beneficial to me would be, you know, being able to read comics through them. But I'm also, and I don't know about you, I I have a, I have trouble with the idea of renting. <sighs> I shouldn't even say like media, but. Um, like Comixology also has like their unlimited, their Comixology unlimited and you pay a subscription fee and you can read unlimited comics. But I'm like, I don't own those. Like I need to like own them. And I know that's weird, but, but what's uh, the difference between that and then like having like Netflix? Well, that's the thing is that like, I don't know. I, I can't make a, I can't make a case to you um, about like why that wouldn't appeal to me. But I, I just, there's something in me. I do the same thing with music. Like I, I don't want to spend fifteen dollars and have unlimited catalog. I have the things that I buy, and I buy those things because I like them. So I just listen to that. So I don't know. I'm very weird in that regard. I won't do a subscription for music or for um, for comics. I 
Now, that's not to say that, you know, they're not getting my support because I will buy those outright as opposed to have to have a subscription service. So, again, that may also be the out-of-touch 45-year-old white guy that I am, Mm -hmm. uh, not being able to get on board with what the kids are doing these days. But I don't know. I don't know that I'm a big DC fan, and just having the unlimited DC comics, I don't know if that would be a big enough pull for me. But even with all their movies and TV shows, it still wasn't a big enough pull. So I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm not the right audience well, for it. I just think that if you have that structure in place, and I know um, there, there's also these rumblings too that um, Warner Media they've been looking to either sell DC Comics. Like I know that they've been like there's been sniffing for that, and they also have um, a video game portion. Um, I forget the actual name of the studio um, off the top of my head here, uh, but they. They produced uh, like the Arkham Asylum games. Uh, like they also uh, produce uh, the Injustice with uh, DC and Mortal Kombat. Like they have a lot of this that they're also trying to actually just get rid of their gaming division. Though they're about to announce a Suicide Squad game that's being developed by the same people who did Arkham Asylum. So it, it just seems like the people that own this part of this content creation, it's almost like yeah, uh, they don't want to be bothered with like the custodial work of it, you know, in a lot of ways where it's like, you got the brands, you got people interested, but you don't want to like actually invest money in the portions that provide the output that brings the fans to begin with. I don't know. Like, again, I'm not a businessman because if I was, I, I wouldn't be a podcaster, I guess like <laughs> I'd be too busy, you know, <laughs> rolling around in piles of cocaine and, you know, I don't know. Uh, doing my best uh, Tony Montana impersonations, right? So um, they, I like that. Like my 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 idea of being successful is just to just get whacked out on cocaine to start shooting guns and be like, that's a that's a businessman right there. Um, but <laughs> well, yeah, the eighties ha- have uh, some great businessmen in it. <laughs> I always think of uh, uh, Dick from uh, RoboCop. Like that's what being like a corporate guy was to me when I looked at. Uh, those evil corporate guys. So. Yeah. So if I, I, if I, I was that guy, though. yeah. If I, if, if I was an eighties businessman, but anyway, no, uh, it just feels weird to me that like for as, as much as again, we're talking about like, you know, these overly large companies that probably shouldn't be as big as they are with the assets that they have, uh, for as much as we see Disney, uh, kind of doing a lot of what we believe to be the right things, even though there's still things are still like not doing, like supposedly some of the uh, Fox movies that were available in 4K, like like physical media, they're going to stop producing. So there's there's shitty things going all around for the people that support these things they love. I just don't understand what Warner Media is doing. It just seems like it is all over the place. And and with that, how can you have stability? How can you how can you have faith that what is going on is going to you know? As a fan, if I was more invested in DC, I would be I'd be pissed off at all of this. I and I hesitate to say this because I obviously don't know the internal workings of DC Comics, but the people that they let go are some pretty big names. Um, and supposedly part of this is you know restructuring because of you know uh, I'm assuming they feel like certain departments can probably be put together or or run more efficiently by a less you know. I don't know. I guess the fact that they laid off their editor-in-chief, who is Bob Harris, who I, I honestly, you know, I I know that he was big at Marvel during the boom until everything went bad, and then he kind of bounced around the industry, and 
but like the people that they're letting go aren't just like it's it's big people who are running that machine right now and i'm wondering if it's just more of the homogenation of like comics are going to be more of a niche thing for us mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah, which feels weird to me just and and not to go too much longer about the story but like as much as again like with the marvel comics side of things i feel like with a lot of the projects that that have either the the story basis has inspired like when they go to make a movie and like you know just because something is called the winter soldier doesn't mean it followed that exactly or age of ultron or whatever there i I feel like that's your your fertile ground of like telling cool stories and see what sticks and then you could build off of that as opposed to like oh we don't really need comics you know people keep wanting to watch batman over and over again right we could just do that we'll just do batman that's all that's all you know yeah i i I mean, there's part of me that thinks that maybe they can see uh, potentially down the road and being like, oh, you know, the comic book division just gives us fertile ideas that we can turn into movies and other media. So this it would be a good idea to keep that healthy and, you know, well run. But I don't know that that's the case at DC. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I guess we'll see what happens to Fandom. Uh, good thing it's virtual because uh, if this was a physical location with people going to, they'd be like, hey, dude, where's your booth at? I don't work there anymore as of a week ago. Oh, like, you know, that would have been, been real bad. So, all right. Um, ne- next story here. Speaking of comics and uh, bringing things back from the dead. Segue. Uh, so uh, you pointed this out to me uh, that – uh, Legendary Comics is actually going to be releasing a graphic novel. Um, it's of Bram Stoker's Dracula, but they're putting Bela Lugosi in the role of Dracula. So it's it's kind of like a thing. It was it's a little a little weird just because Bela Lugosi was one of the most famous iconic Draculas and one of like you know the 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 first like big cinematic Draculas. Um, but I don't know if that was, that wasn't a direct retelling of the Bram Stoker book. So this is like kind of like bringing those together. Yeah. I wonder if, I don't know. I I guess uh, Dracula is a character is above it. it Just in my own head canon above all other vampires in the sense that like Dracula is the vampire and Lugosi is the image that I have. And to be fair, all of those characters, you know, the mummy, uh, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, creature, like all of those characters, I'm immediately like the the image in my head is the Universal Monsters versions. And I wonder if that is still the case. Um, And I'm, I'm bringing this back around to Lugosi because that's that's the thing. I feel like even sometimes with merchandising uh, with Universal Monsters, they have to walk a line with how much they can use Lugosi's face or whatever, because I think it still has to be approved through his estate. Uh, his, his son, Bella Lugosi Jr., I think runs it. But I I, I, I don't know. I, I guess the, the point that I'm trying to make is, is that, is this going to be a draw? Like, it, it's going to appeal to guys like me, like that love Lugosi Dracula and love the Universal Monsters. I just I'm curious to know if this comic is going to have a draw or attention because of that. I just think it's just interesting that it's a comic thing starring Bela Lugosi, right? Like as opposed to because mm. you talk about the likeness, and you're right, they get the permission of the um, of the family to do it. Um, it just it almost feels like 
and again, this is this is probably much better handled and much better executed than. Do you remember when it, there was kind of a bit of mini controversy during Tales from the Crypt when they were going to do an episode where they brought back Humphrey Bogart and used his face uh, in yeah. an episode? People lost their minds. It's like that was the quote unquote first time that an actor that has you know passed that they're going to use the, like their their face like as an actor's part of the series and then you know clearly people got over that because and then rogue one happened uh so um i mean it just it just feels odd to me that you would have i mean i think it's cool to say starring bella lugosi so that, that's a little different headline for your graphic novel and i think mm-hmm. that frames it better and makes you feel like this is supposed to be the cinematic version had they actually followed bram stoker's book with Lugosi in the role or the, you know, sorry. And, and, you know, actually as Dracula, I should say, I think it's cool. It's just, it is different, but again, um, you, you don't get cool things unless you don't try to do cool things. I guess that's, that's my PhD thesis statement there. There you go. I'm smart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's no secret, you know, that Lugosi cherished that role and was buried with his cape and, um, I can see how his, you know, son, who is the one I think that has to give the permission in order to use his likeness, you know, I think he's actually done a pretty good job of trying to uh, keep his the legacy of his father out there. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to read it. I don't I don't envy the artist who's got to draw every panel that Lugosi appears in and make it look like Bella Lugosi. That's a tough. That's a tough job to do. So good luck to that artist. Well, I I would say just that you do the one shot of him as Dracula and then every other panel that you draw him as, he just have the cape up above, up to his nose. You just show his eyes as he walks around the different sequences. So his cape's in front of his face. And that way you're paying homage to Plan 9 uh, from outer, outer space as well. So you only have to draw half of Dracula. <laughs> and I, I don't know if, uh, you know... I don't know if there's a way that we could ever make an episode out of this. We probably couldn't, but uh, you know, if you look at different comics that are either adaptations of things, there are artists who like nail it. There are artists who also just get like an essence of a character or um, give, give you a visual representation that you like. You're like, it doesn't look like the actor, but I I know who that character is. I think that would be an interesting discussion, but it's still, you're putting the name out there on this comic. It's Bella Lugosi, so it better damn well look like Bella Lugosi. Yeah, and based upon the cover, it it looks like him. But again, I know a cover is kind of like a little bit more work than some individual pages. <laughs> and mm. so it's like, oh man, that's Bella Lugosi. That's Bella Lugosi who's a stick figure. That's Bella Lugosi. They just keep anytime Bella Lugosi's not in scene, you must be talking about Bella Lugosi. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that'd be funny. <laughs> Um, just draw bats, just draw a bunch of bats. It's fine. You got it. Um, no. So yeah, it'll be interesting. And I like, again, this kind of even goes back to the episode that we did uh, a while ago when we looked at the unproduced screenplay for alien three. Um, so not that this thing clearly Bram Stoker's Dracula has been available, but this is kind of a nice, like what if, or more like, you know, this should have been a thing uh, much like whenever they just recently put out uh, Rod Serling's, um, bigger budgeted thought of what planet of the apes should look like, like his original screenplay. I think mm-hmm. these are fun. I think these are fun. Like I think comics is the best medium to, to get some of this across. So I think there's some cool things that you can do with this. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm curious. I'll probably end up picking this up. I, 
I'll, I, I, I'll be honest. I don't have much. Um, I, actually, I don't know that I have any comics by Legendary. So I don't know. Maybe this will be a first to check out what they're doing. Cool. Yeah. I, I, that people should check this out. And then uh, maybe, you know, maybe buy it physically or I don't know, rent it and then piss Steve off. That's what I would say. No, that's not true. Um, so speaking of renting segue again, um, look at me. Aside from that one time I pressed the button wrong. Uh, so uh, there is one last blockbuster on earth. It's in Bend, Oregon. Um, and being a former employee at a blockbuster, anytime blockbusters brought up in the news, people have to tell me about it. Cause I don't know, like they like dancing on the grave. That was my job, I guess. Uh, I, I'm sure I've talked about this on the show before, but it's like in the last days of blockbuster, people did like, Oh, I can't believe you guys are still open. It's like, well, with that kind of attitude, yeah, I kind of like. I wonder why I'm losing a job. I don't know. Like, I understand that our company didn't handle stuff very well either. But if you're coming in, like, always being like, "Oh, you guys are still open," then yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of mad at you right now because you know you may or may not rent something. Rant over. Um, this blockbuster is still open. They've now decided for the people that live in this county um, uh, in Oregon that they've opened, they're going to open up a uh, Airbnb for a few nights. That's going to accommodate parties of four. And they're going to have a pullout couch and a nice TV. And it's basically to be like, Hey, what if you could sleep in a blockbuster overnight? And I would, I would say I could have done that for six, six years and chose not to. <laughs> so I don't know. Okay. It, it looks like it'd be I, fun. It looks like it'd be fun. I saw the pictures of the setup. It looks like a living room. It could be fun. So I mean I, I have a couple of uh, um, thoughts on this. I don't want to go too long on it, but um, so my first thought is I think I think Blockbuster is romanticized by a generation of people. <laughs> um, I I loved going and getting videos. I did and. The unfortunate thing is, is that like, I don't have, I mean, I have memories of renting things from Blockbuster, but my memories are, are they're of the mom and pops, the places that I went to rent movies that, you know, um, were clearly not owned and in like franchised, you know? Um, and I, as much as I think this would be a, a funny thing to do, or, you know, an interesting thing to do, sleep in a Blockbuster, I, I just, I, I don't know, like, I, I feel like, I don't I'm trying to think of an equivalent of, like, you know, a big corporation <laughs> that people are now mourning, like, are nostalgic for, you know, um, and I, I don't have a good comparison, but I just, uh, with that, it brings me into my second point, um, and that is, is a, while I don't want to sleep, I think, so much in a, in a blockbuster Although I think I just said ten seconds ago I would. Um, <laughs> there's a, 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 a art display. It's more than just an art display, but uh, there's a, a a place in California called um, oh what's the name of it? It's an art gallery. Long story short, um, they've done this display called Slashback Video a couple times, where it's literally recreates an '80s video store. Um, for people to walk through and it's all VHS. It's all the original artwork. It's all the posters, all the standees and all the ephemera that was, you could find in like an eighties, you know, um, 
VHS rental store. Um, and I, I think that that's really cool. So I guess the point is, is that like that appeals to me much more than a blockbuster. <laughs> that's my long winded way of saying that. Well, but if you and I could spend a night in an abandoned uh, radio shack, would you do that? I'd spend anywhere. I'd spend anywhere. I'd spend. I I I'd do that anywhere, Paul. Oh, okay. Just to spend time with you in it's, a it's non-COVID like, it's not gonna environment. Be, it's not going to be an Airbnb Radio Shack. It's just going to be an abandoned Radio Shack. It's what's going to be, and um, you know, we'll have to bring our own snacks and fight whatever um like family of raccoons that have moved in. Um, or how about what? If, what if we uh, recreate a Suncoast video? And we could stay there for the night <laughs> and then watch as people walk in and not buy anything and leave. <laughs> Suncoast video, the place I'd go to get mad because I couldn't afford what was on the wall. And then I'd walk away. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So there we go. Um, yeah. I, I think when you talk about Blockbuster being romanticized now. Yeah. I think people are like, oh, man, I miss going to video stores. It's like, oh, man, you didn't. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> Uh, whatever. Anyway. So yeah, uh, it's $4 to, to do the, the reservation. I think it's fun. Um, I think it's also just kind of a nice thing for them to do for the community to kind of, cause like they're, they're, you know, obviously go above and beyond, uh, you know, since this is for the residents of the County, uh, just to kind of have a fun little experience. And again, since they're the last one, they can make up whatever rules they want, you know, in terms of like, we're going to turn on Airbnb, which, you know, had that been a thing, Back when Blockbuster was still trying to stay on board, they'd have been like, oh, no, no, you can sleep here. Rent a movie. It's fine. You're, it's like $10. It's fine. You know, here's the keys. Here's the key. Just stay. Just just make sure you sell candy to other people that come in, please. You know, I could see them doing that. I, I, I might have been in. Uh, <laughs> especially if it was that cheap back in the day. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, there you go. Uh, Blockbuster, you know, Airbnb, whatever. So, um, yeah. So that, that's that's going to do it for news. Now, uh, speaking of, you know, um, relics from the past, that is that is a bad segue, Paul. Let's go on to talk about The Undertaker and the documentary The Last Ride. And now for our feature presentation. So like we said at the beginning of the show, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, The Undertaker, Last Ride, uh, the five-part um, miniseries, mini <laughs> sorry, documentary that's on the WWE Network. Um, and it is about like, it, it's about a lot of things, um, but it mean, it, the bulk of it is about like the last three years professionally of uh, Mark Calloway, a.k.a. The Undertaker, who um, not only has been in the, as a professional wrestler for about 30 years and also the character of The Undertaker, he is a famously private person. So when this was announced, like this was a big deal because it's like you're actually hearing his uh, his own take on what's going on and there's actually cameras following him around. So um, being uh, like Steve, you mentioned last episode that you subbed into the WWE network just to watch some old pay-per-views and there was like a certain nostalgia there and things that you missed. Um, the undertaker's always been there for both of us in terms of watching wrestling. Yeah. It's interesting. I was going to ask you what your first memories of him were. Um, and I think I've talked about this on previous episodes, but, uh, maybe not. I'm never quite sure what I've shared and what I haven't, but, uh, when I was in high school, uh, well, Growing up, my parents were very big on, you know, Sundays, you go to church, da 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 When I hit high school, 
my parents always made me go to like the 1030 service, which was the, um, the later service. Um, and I'm by no means a, um, a morning person, but, uh, uh, when I turned 16, my parents were like, you can go to the eight o'clock service if you want and be done with church earlier, but you have to bring us back a bulletin. And like, you know, if the pastor sees you leave, he'll tell us whatever. So I hated uh, uh, going to late service on Sundays. So I would get up early on a Sunday morning uh, and go to church, sit through it, and then bring a, you know, uh, the pamp, the, the, the bulletin, the church bulletin, which they gave out every service. And they're like, here, I was there, you know, uh, pastor saw me, I took communion, whatever. But it's like, sorry, Steve, this is actually a, um, it's just a flyer from a Chuck E. Cheese. Like, oh, <laughs> no. Then what was that but, communion I had? Like, <laughs> but really, my, my, uh, my routine at, at that point was, is that after I got out, I would go to McDonald's and pick up, you know, hotcakes and sausage and come back home. And then there was like three hours of wrestling. And I feel like it was, it was even on like different channels too. Cause I feel like it was on like USA and then like maybe like an NBC affiliate mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And then on one other channel, but there was like three solid hours of wrestling. Most of it, uh, being WWF, at least I think two of the shows that I watched were, uh, or WWE is, as it's now known, but, uh, I I remember watching Undertaker and being like completely taken by the character part of it and seeing how agile the guy was in the ring and like the presence that he had. Uh, it was very much a piece of when I think of wrestling, like what I grew up with, you know, you, you've got probably Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper. And a couple others in there, but Undertaker's like right up there with like names that would have been from my prime era of watching wrestling. Yeah. And the fact that like, you know, he just, I mean, to our knowledge, just recently hung up, you know, hung up his boots, like just a couple months ago, like the dude, you know, 55 years old, whenever, like we're going to get to the, the, the boneyard match here at the end here to talk about that as a capper. Uh, but like, you're right. Like you, you think about these personalities, like you mentioned Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, ultimate warrior, uh, you know, British bulldog, Bruce, the barber beefcake, Roddy Piper. Like these were like all like, they were all personalities, all these characters. And then you got the undertaker that his character is, he doesn't talk. He just beats the hell out of you. And then, then he's done with you. He'll throw you in a body bag or a coffin. And that's that. Like he just, you know, and when he did talk, you, you knew you were done for like, that is such a, um, it, it was very, um, like, cause he was never like a hero or a villain. He was just always the undertaker. Like, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, like depending upon what storyline it was, like, you know, you would just like, there's certain, there's certain wrestlers that regardless of their, uh, baby face or heel, people just dig them, you know? And he's one of those guys and you, yeah, he was, he's six ten, probably six, eight now because of all the surgeries, but whatever. Um, big dude, agile, uh, you're right. Like he moved like what, like you would see like the cruiserweight people, like the, like the smaller guys would. And by smaller, I mean, you know, still bigger than us probably, <laughs> you know? No, but um, I yeah. remember watching him like walk on a tight on the, the top rope and just being like, 
you didn't see that with like guys of his size. You wasn't you weren't going to see Andre the Giant get up and walk on the tightropes. Like, no, no. You know, like he there there was like a, a a subtlety to him, and I I think the shot is even included in the documentary. There's a part where he gets knocked out of the ring, and he literally just flips over and lands on his feet. Like it's whether it's intentional or not, I was just like that guy is incredible. Like, yeah. And he like, had, he had an amazing jump where he t- went from the bounce off the ropes and launched over the top rope, like a splash, which is not something you see somebody that's six, eight do, you know, like right. it's, it's something you see someone like Ray Mysterio or somebody, you know, it's a little, you know, a little bit more compact. The guy moved. He could move. He understood the business. He was a constant. He shifted his persona, like the slight degrees as the business changed. And, um, and we'll talk more like about the documentary in full, but it's just how many, how many wrestlers do you know now? Which I mean, that's, I know it's kind of a trick question because I know you don't follow a lot of current wrestling where it's like, they have a name like this. It's like, a like a signifier. That's not like their stage name, you know, like, um, there, there was a period there with like wrestling where you had like a moniker, right. And, or, you know, and that's it. Like the undertaker, like, um, Oh, the big boss man, you know, like you have, um, those things, right. Um, million dollar man, million dollar man. Yeah. Yeah. It's like now people will have these nicknames, but it, but mainly like you got someone like, um, like, but you had that transition, uh, you know, from the nineties where you had people like, you know, Steve Austin, he was stone cold Steve Austin, but he's still Steve Austin. Right. So now it's like, there's still like, there's a names, there's like these identifiers and it, 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 it's here and there. You still get some one-offs, but his, his character never had a name. It was just the undertaker. I mean, I know originally it was Kane, the undertaker, and they just kind of like forgot about saying that the first time. And then they just went on without it. And then later on was like, no, 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 that's a good name for a brother. But, um, he just outlasted, I don't know what it is. Like somehow he just was able to always kind of get his finger on the pulse of the business and stay relevant and always want to be there performing. And I will always respect that about him. And it's just uh, uh, 30 years. Can you think of like any other like person in there? Like, well, I mean, I guess you do have some musicians that are always kind of like, they still kind of stay and they kind of become iconic. And even when they put out stuff later in their career, they're still like challenging themselves and they're still having commercial success. That doesn't happen often, though. Well, uh, oh, okay, I've got like two thoughts on this. One, um, I, I don't remember if we talked about this during the episode last week or if it was when we were deciding on stories. I think it may have actually now that I think about it been when we were deciding stories. But I brought up the fact that um, Wilford Brimley had passed away. And the thing that I thought of him from, while not just being the thing, was I always thought of him as being in Cocoon. And then I did some quick math and realized that, like, at the age that Wilford Brimley was in, he was, uh, when he passed away, when he filmed Cocoon, he would have been 55, which I was like, oh, my God, that's 10 years from where I am now. Am I going to be Wilford Brimley in 10 years? Dear God. <laughs> However, I see I, I see The Undertaker at 55, and I'm like, I, I, I wasn't that at, like, 30. Like, he's, he's <laughs> still in great shape, yeah. but also just uh, the amount of work that he's put in. And you do see that in this documentary. And I, I kind of wish we would have gotten more about that. I think the 
the allure of uh, seeing what it's like for him to train now and, and what his body's gone through. And, you know, that's, I mean, let's be honest, like the best part of some of the Rocky movies are the training montages. So I, I could be done with more of that in this, this documentary, but the guy for being 55 is ridiculously crazy in shape. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 well, I guess so unless he, you were Schwarzenegger, I think was probably in better shape at that time, but there's not a, a, a big list of guys who are in better shape than he is at 55. Yeah. So. I mean, even though his exterior looks like he's been in a demolition derby repeatedly, which again, he has cause he's a professional wrestler. Um, just, he makes a comment later on about, he's like, I have to train 10 times as hard to get a, like a quarter of the effort or a quarter of the results now. Like he's, <laughs> There, there was um oh who was it was it Howie Long the, the football player or the, the the star of Fox's Firestorm, um you know that movie where he was a smoke jumper for a half second that no one wants to talk about now, uh you know Howie Long you know the guy that was in Broken Arrow and then like you know what that guy's going to be a star, uh he talked about how um your brain and body are on these two separate elevators as a professional athlete where when you first you know enter the league and you're like in your early twenties your your body's at the top floor. Um, and your elevator's going down while your brain's constantly going up you know, in terms of like your knowledge of the sport. And he was like, if I knew now what, you know, what I, with the body I had, then he's like, I would have been unstoppable. Like in terms of like him being a defensive player, he recognized that there was like a sweet spot where both elevators were near each other, you know, like, and relative distance, like to, to stretch the metaphor further. I think uh, the undertaker, Mark Calloway, is like the epitome of that person that could talk about like, I have this knowledge had I had this whenever I could actually, you know, have my real hips, I would have blown the doors off of everybody all the time, which he did that anyway, but could, you know, mm -hmm. he's the epitome of like, I know how to do this. And you even heard him think out loud, like, well, if like in terms of like how, like if we're going to do the match, then he talked about, so here, we'll just start off the, the, the beginning of the documentary is him going into, um, WrestleMania, which one was it? Uh, you know, 2007, the 35 WrestleMania, whatever it's, it's, it's 30 WrestleMania 30. I think it was, uh, where he fought Roman reigns. Um, I think it was 30. It doesn't matter. Um, that was the one he was supposed to, yeah, it was 30, uh, in 2014. Is that it? I can't remember. I apologize. Uh, maybe it's 31. Um, Nope. I think probably just yeah. saying the year is fine. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm, 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 I'm getting lost here because there's so many of them. But yeah, it was um, anyway, the, 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 the WrestleMania where he was wrestling Roman Reigns, uh, it was supposed to be um, the that was supposed to be his retirement match. Like for all intents and purposes, he thought he was going to be done. Uh, and then you you see the match, you see his prep work for it. Um, you didn't at the time, like you were finding out as you watch the documentary, like he is having consistently like unrelenting pain on his right side. Cause his hip is gone. And then this is going to be his last match. They do the match and then they go in for the surgery. And all of a sudden, like he gets this hip replacement. He's like, Oh my God, I can walk without pain. This is amazing. <laughs> and he was like, maybe, maybe that's not my last match. And it's like the moment he's able to actually physically walk without, like, without a cane, He's like, all right, I'm ready to go again. You know, it's like, just think about how much abuse his body went through. And then to be like the headliner of a WrestleMania where half your body is not functioning the way that you would expect it to. And that's supposed to be how you're supposed to go out. I can see why he uh, was frustrated with that. 
Yeah, I, I do. I do wonder, though, is he really done at this point? And that's a whole other discussion. Mm-hmm. But the allure of performing is intoxicating. I, I while I'm not a performer, I do, you know, know quite a few people who are. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine. And I know there's downsides, but I, I the actual performance of it, like I know the adrenaline, I'm sure, plays into it. I'm sure the the years of, of having done it and just feeding off the crowd, I'm sure that that's, you know, that's probably the reason he's doing it. Um, I was trying to speak to that, and I'm like, I can't really come up with a good comparison so between I, myself. I'm just going to say it was, Undertaker. it was WrestleMania 33. That's I finally okay. got the number right. I apologize to everybody that I stumbled over every other possible number. But yeah, sorry, continue. No, but I imagine that that is, it's something that is hard to let go of. You see it with, you know, other athletes in other sports, whether it's, um, you know, Michael Jordan leaving basketball, becoming a baseball player, and then coming back to basketball shortly, or um, even Magic Johnson, I think after his diagnosis, I think he'd stopped a little bit and then came back. Um, And again, if you guys don't know that I'm old, you'll find that my references for sports probably end somewhere in the nineties. Um, but I, I guess I keep going back to the, the, the idea of Rocky Balboa. Like the idea of that movie is that like, and, and I honestly, I think that like, this has got a lot of in common with that film in the sense that like, uh, I think he talks about having something in the basement in Rocky Balboa, meaning that like, he's got one match left in him and he's got stuff that he's unresolved in the basement. Um, in this, they say the undertaker and you could probably play a, a, a drinking game to how many times he says this. I think there's gas in the tank. Mm-hmm. This, this could this documentary could have just been called gas in the tank <laughs> or, or, or like, eh, maybe like, I feel like that was every time, like, you know, uh, you're right. Like, uh, and, and just, just real quick in the film, Rocky Balboa, which is the last of the official Rocky movies before we moved on to Creed. Uh, there's a bit when he's training for that last match and his, his manager who'd been with him through a lot of the, the years in the movie in the series. Right. He's like, okay. He's like, can't work on your footwork. That's gone. Can't do that. He went through all the things. He's like, you don't got yeah. that anymore. He's like, all we can do is just build muscle and make you drop hurting bombs. So it was like, so it's all right, cool. You can't move. You can't do anything, but you can smash people. And it's like, I feel like a lot of that kind of went into with, with this, even though the taker is much more capable in terms of his, his, his ring presence and ability. Cause you saw him like pop all over the place after his hips got fixed. Like when he was just doing his own, like, prep to see if he could still do it. He's doing things there that like, I don't know. I, w- I bent down to pet a cat today and I hurt my back, you know? So, um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. And I, I also wonder, uh, and again, I, I, I'll never be the person to tell somebody that they're too old to do something. Um, I, I'm, I'm the guy who's still like, yeah, I'll see Indiana Jones five. I don't care how old Eric's report is. Um, but I wonder, you know, all the surgeries that he's had, all the, like that stuff's going to set in. And there's a piece of me that wonders like, and I'm not saying he should be actively wrestling to the degree that he has, but like, uh, and I realize he was only doing like one match a year, but uh, maybe I guess I should say last taxing. But I, I know from people who have like arthritis and things like that, that like, 
the, the less they do things, the more it hurts so mm-hmm. that they need to stay active. So I do wonder if that's a piece of it. But I also wonder if, like, wh- how many more surgeries is he going to endure? You know what I mean? Like, what is the point that you're like, my hip feels great. I'm never wrestling again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it was an uh, – uh, and I understand, you know, the, the feeling of, like, well, I, I, I feel renewed. I can do this again. And um, – my hip feels awesome. Uh, but at the same time, where is his hip then going to be 10 years down the road? Well, so. I mean, and to speak to that. So in the, the first part of the documentary, when they had him getting ready for uh, WrestleMania 33, they showed his, his uh, routine and like they, they injected something. I think it was like all the silicone in the world into his knee or some, some type of white gel into his knee to make it function. And then after the match, you saw them pull that back out. So it was whatever it was, was a temporary solution to get him up and walking. Like these are the sacrifices that he makes that he knows he's making for this. Um, And he, you know, he talks about knowing his body and like, you know, all these things. And then it goes forward. Um, There's that match with Goldberg where um, Goldberg, you know, suffering a concussion, clearly bleeding all over the place, screws up a power driver and almost like kills uh, the undertaker in the ring. And I think that's the bit where he's like, you know, um, I might feel like I, my body might be feeling good, but he's like, I was inches away from just like dying and like, you know, making a widow of my wife. Like, I think there's that realization that hits him too, of like, I can't do this forever, regardless of how good, like, I think my body is that's going to fail. Like, cause Goldberg probably thought he was in pretty good shape too. Right. It's like, you have two old men that are battling it out and it's a botched, it's a botched job. And even when there's that one too, with, um, there's a match that they had with Taker and um, Kane and Triple H and Shawn Michaels that that it was it sucked to see these guys kind of like end up the way it happened. But it's like they they like all of them kind of like, yep, everything that could have went wrong absolutely went wrong there. Like Triple H, like was his uh, his pec or bicep just ripped like immediately going over a, a rope. Kane lost his hair like <laughs> so everything wrong could happen that match. And it was like you wonder it's like maybe maybe you guys have hit the end of the road of like precision and timing isn't where it was, even though you, you think it is, you know, and there was a lot of stark reminders of times have changed. So as somebody who uh, grew up with that era of wrestling, uh, I can't help but think of, uh, and again, this is, this is because I I obviously hadn't seen him and probably, 20 years, I say it like I was going to run into him at a McDonald's, but Shawn Michaels, um, when I was watching wrestling, was part of the Rockers. Um, and apparently, Marty Jannetty <laughs> recently <laughs> accidentally somehow, uh, you know, confessed uh, to killing somebody. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very should, weird story. laugh about that, but uh, he's like, oh, I didn't confess to murder. I just told, I just said I made somebody disappear. It's like, I don't yeah. know. You're not a magician. I don't think, you know, like. <laughs> But I'll say, like, when they showed him in the, in the documentary, I would never have told you that that was Shawn Michaels. Like, in my brain, he's, you know, long, blonde hair. He's the heartbreak and, kid. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was really surprised by seeing him. I think he, visually, I guess, had been the one who, who looked the most different to me. Um, but I, I have to, like... Again, I, I understand the the feeling like you know my brain is is there, but my body can't keep up. And I will say, I think that at least Undertaker 
has a he has an understanding of that at least like of the guys who he wasn't one of the guys who who kind of yes he was almost killed so yeah he was hurt but like the issues that happened in the ring i don't think those guys had as an acuteness uh, 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 or an acute awareness of what their issues were as probably as he did and that kind of comes through in the documentary. He seems very aware of what his limitations are now. We'll put it that way. A hundred percent. You're right. So I, I guess, so, the, so the, 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 this five part documentary, um, with an additional 24 minutes later that you could watch is this Tim telling stories, which was funny, but it's like after watching six hours of undertaker, I'm like, is there anything else here? Oh, okay. Um, it just felt like, you know, like a, like a bonus feature that I'm like, I'll watch that. Sure. After spending my day watching the taker, um, it, it becomes the series of, of, uh, arcs of him. Like you, you, you know, that he knows that the end of the road is going to happen sooner than later. Is this the time? And then he gets like, like that WrestleMania 33 match where I saw that live when it happened, meaning like not in person, but we were watching it, um, and the moment he took the hat off, put the and took the gloves off, and the the coat, and folded it up, and walked away, you know, is like okay, good. Like we were all sad because it's like that's the end of an era. I I was kind of pissed that it's like really you lost to Roman Reigns. That's how you go out. Like I'm not the biggest Roman Reigns fan as a wrestler, but he's grown on me too. That that's neither here nor there. At the time, I I didn't like him as much. I'm like that's going to be your last match as that guy. Whenever whenever your one of your moves is a Superman punch and you cock your fist like with your forearm that get a better gimmick. Um, but sure. We thought that was the end. Everyone's like, thank you, taker. Thank you, taker. And then it's like, like what's months later. He's like, yeah, uh, my hips are good. That was kind of a shit match. <laughs> like he's like, I need to come back. And so this becomes this issue. Like was it, was it edge or Christian? It's one of it's, I think it's edge. That's on the documentary a lot that, um, he keeps talking about chasing the dragon and nobody mm-hmm. can tell somebody when to stop. Um, he's right. The taker was trying to finish the story and stone cold even mentions it too. He's like, you know, people want to write their stories and write their endings. He's like you, but you don't always get the ending that you think you like that you want to close it. And then there's also that fear of you got this awesome ending. And now you believe you got some gas in the tank, which is what we saw happen here. He get the high go on for a bit. Then there'd be a, a real bad match. And then he'd be like, I got to redeem myself. So it became like this really, like in a lot of ways, like this almost self-defeating cycle of finishing a story. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting that a lot of the time we, we got his wife's perspective. And I think that she's got an interesting perspective in that um, she's also a wrestler. And again, you'll have to forgive me because you know my wrestling knowledge really ends around like 1993 at least my deep-seated knowledge of of wrestling ends there everything else is just i saw secondhand or heard about but like i i don't know if his wife was a, a big wrestler i don't know if she was a big name but um i know that she could also see it from the perspective of having done it Normally, you would hear a lot of people who are like, I just want him to stop because he's going to hurt himself. There was a piece of her that seemed to come through that she's like, yeah, he's my husband and the father of my daughter, and I want him to be here for us. But she also gets like that it's something that he feels like he needs to do because he can. And 
I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I kind of wish we would have gotten a little bit more of her perspective throughout the, the, the documentary. Yeah. Just to give you a little bit of a context, uh, um, Michelle McCool, she was actually the first divas champion. Um, uh, meaning that was the, the women's, um, like, I don't know, division before they actually get made like, you know, the actual belts, like they should like the women's championship. They just called them divas. And it was, it was, it's the belts retired. The titles retired in terms of like calling women wrestlers divas. That's all well good. It needed to be, but she was the first. And so she kind of was like, you know, um, trailblazer and a lot of that too. And she actually became a, a women's champion there too. So she, she's put her work in. She's a known commodity. Um, I wasn't that familiar with her. But seeing her show up in the first woman's Royal Rumble, which they show a little bit of that in the documentary, that's cool. That just shows that, like, you know, people still know who she is. And she she was all like, I wish we'd have gotten more of her. But anytime you saw him, like, in the ring training or whenever she like, she was there doing just as much as he was. And it's like, it was amazing to see just um, the work they were putting in just because that's what they know to do. And they know to always be ready. It, that was amazing to me. Yeah, and I, I think, again, I, I can only make parallels to things that I know a little bit better than wrestling, but I, I think of like how a lot of times you'll see actors who seem to do better being married to another actor because they know the life. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's very much the case here and that like she she has an intimate understanding of the business that other people wouldn't. And maybe that's what works about their relationship. I, I, I thought that stuff was very interesting. And my opinion of the documentary is oh, not my opinion of the documentary. Apologies. My perception of what the documentary could have presented us. I would have been more interested in finding out a little bit more about their, their relationship in that regards. Cause I, 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 there were a lot of things and I, I'll get to the, just the heart of it here. Cause I texted this to you earlier. There are a lot of things that I liked about this documentary. There are a lot of things that I felt like, were left abandoned to, to go into more shallower waters. And I, I thought that their relationship was interesting and I could have done more with it. Yeah. It makes me wonder how much he would allow because since he's always kind of a guarded person and also to knowing that this is a WWE produced documentary. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a lot that they didn't get into because one, you know, they want to protect their brand and two, it's like, you know, I don't know. It just, you like moving into shallower waters is a great way to describe this. Uh, but, but yeah, so the court, so what I'll say too about the documentary, and it, it's worth the watch. I absolutely, if you have any passing interest in like, you know, what it takes to be someone at the, like the height of entertainment, like this, like he was doing telling storytelling. And you saw, um, a lot of these other, um, wrestlers pop in and be like, you know, he never had like an off night in terms of like, he always was there and he always tore the house down no matter what was going on. That's respectable to have everybody be like, he was always the guy we could count on. He was always the one in the, the locker room that was always good to go. Um, that's all. It's amazing. Um, I do feel like for five, for five episodes, it meanders a little bit, but who am I to say, Hey man, who spent 30 years entertaining me, you don't get five episodes. There was a lot of weird fluff that they could have cut out that I don't think served anything. Um, I do like that. They sat down and talked with him like, like a camera directly to his face. And there's a lot of revealing things. And his also things I didn't know about him. He has a pretty good sense of humor, like his, like his storytelling and just some of the, his faces he would make the guy's funny. And I didn't ever know that about him. 
Um, but there was times where I felt like we were kind of running across the same ground over and over again. Uh, and then also the ending felt longer than the Lord of the Rings. I'm just gonna throw that out there. The ending of this documentary was like, Oh, we're done now. Oh no, no, no. We're going to get a country song and some drone shots over his, uh, his estate. Cool. Oh, we're not done. Oh, we're still, wait, we're not. Okay. It's another, another 20 minutes. Like it just like, when's he going to get on the boat and go to the, you know, what was it? The great havens, you know, like Jesus. I, I think for a show that had five episodes that were, I think almost episode, every episode was at least a solid hour. Um, there's a lot of time spent reiterating points. There's a lot of times where it's repetitive and feels like it's not going anywhere, but there, there are these points where they make, quick diversions to things about either the life of being a wrestler or his experience or his history. And they'll start to talk about it and then just gloss over it. Um, There's a moment where he talks about his father and how much, uh, you know, uh, his father being in his life, he misses and, and the fact that like the first time he had to put makeup on in front of his father, he was just sort of like, it is what it is, dad kind of, you know, uh, a very like sort of like father son moment where it's like, I support you. But then you also find out that he had a, a, a was it a baseball scholarship or was it a basketball, basketball. scholarship? Yeah. Okay. Basketball scholarship. Like he came from this, this non-traditional path where like he was, he could have gone to school for free and, and played basketball and done all these other things. And like, they barely touch on those things. I'm like, Oh, his relationship with his dad sounds interesting. His, uh, you know, who he was before he became a wrestler. That's interesting to me. This is all we get of it. Yeah. And and if, if the focus of this would call the last ride was about like his last couple years, but making the decision, that's fine. But if you're going to give me a, like this introspective take, like pull back the curtain on Mark Calloway, that's the stuff. Like I, like if you go to his Wikipedia page, his Wikipedia page is actually is a lot more informative about his career than that five hour documentary was like, like I would like, I feel like because a lot of the different promotions he's a part of before the WWF, are now gone or have been bought out by the WWE. I think a lot of the history can be talked about without like worrying about like, you know, hurting your brand. Um, like I didn't know he was a WCW wrestler for a year before signing with WWF. Didn't know that it was never shown at all in the documentary. I also didn't know that he uh, wrestled in new Japan for a half second before going to WWF. Like that's amazing to me. Um, Cause that also ties to something later that I'll, I'll get to. Uh, the dude's been around the world doing other things, but not just WWE. I, I think that would have been cool. I think talking about like more of the shaping of the character of the undertaker, cause you get a little bit of that, but you know, I don't know. Like you're right. Like there, there's plenty here to really dig into. And, and in terms of a character study, in terms of like learning about him as a, his personality and how he talks about things is very revealing. And I like that, but it does leave me wanting because it's like if you're talking about this last ride at the end of your career, could you please tell me how you got here? Well, that's the thing too. Uh, they they touch on like interesting pieces of that, but and I text this to you, and and all uh, all joking aside about Paul Bearer, like 
that was the other half to him, at least, you know, and again, I realize that I'm looking at it from the beginning of his career as opposed to those who have been watching him for 30 years. But like Paul Bearer and Undertaker were like, it was as natural to say as like Batman and Robin. So the fact that I don't think Paul Bearer gets an actual name mentioned until the fourth episode, I text you and I'm like, it seems really weird to me that they're not even talking about this guy. And, and maybe there were just two guys who worked together, weren't friends or whatever, but it's still a big piece of his legacy is that, that character and that, that actor. And I would have been interested to know like, what was their relationship? Like, was there any, if there wasn't fine, but at least tell me about it. And, uh, the fact that like he had to, and I wasn't watching during this time that he had to change the character to be like less, supernatural in more American badass, I think is what they call his next version of the character. Yeah. Like there was some, there was some other supernatural stuff that they would kind of go back and forth on. And then the American badass was more towards the end of the, the, uh, was it the attitude era? I think is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. But all that stuff is fascinating. And I think they could have laid that out chronologically and seen like the progression of his career. So that like, and I understand you can make the argument that this is made for WWE fans who already know all this stuff, so they don't need it rehashed for them. But it just makes for a better documentary to have a more solid foundation to, to cover, and you would have less of those repetitive moments of, you know, uh, boy, we thought he was out, but then three months later he changed his mind. Like there's a lot of that in this documentary, <laughs> unfortunately. There is. I mean, again, but you know, like everybody, everybody is like, if there's one person in this industry that gets the right to tell, to tell us when he's done, it's him, you know? And, and he even says they, he repeats this multiple times during the course of the documentary when they're in like the different vehicles going to the shows where he's like, I don't want to become a parody of myself. Well, I mean, I hate to say it, but he got pretty damn close there a couple of times at the end. And I don't like seeing that, but I think he was aware of it too. Well, the, the other thing that I, I think is, again, detrimental to the, to the documentary is, is that we don't really get to see it. And I understand that this is a, a private person who's never really let much out about the character. And, and when he talks about, uh, the AJ Styles Boneyard match and how that was promoted and how it it, it pulled the mask back in the Undertaker, but I, I I feel like overall like we got to get a good sense of who Mark Calloway is and seeing his personality. So I did like that about the the documentary, but I also I think it would have been interesting to just parallel the years from who he was to who he is now. And, and go in more in depth into those different eras. I think it would have served the, the overall story better. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and also like some of the other maybe external stuff, like a little bit, like, I mean, just to, to tie it into like you and I, and I know as much as we're big sports sportsmen all the time, uh, whatever the Cavaliers were going to the game seven uh, against, um, the, the warriors, like the second time around, um, LeBron James wore uh, Undertaker t-shirts and Ultimate Warrior shirts during that run. And he was like telling people, he's like, we're the Undertaker. It's game seven. We're sitting back up again. And like, he was like, the Undertaker's like his mindset of like, we're going to go in. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, you know, power drive these guys. We're done. And they, and they did it. And then um, the next year, uh, like opening night, uh, the Undertaker shows up to uh, the queue with, uh, with the belt 
like the championship belt with the Cavs logo on it to give to the Cavs. Like that's amazing, right? Like that's really cool. I, I didn't know that. You didn't know I didn't that? Know that okay. Happened. No. Yeah. Uh, look it up. Like there's pictures of him with like Kevin Love out in, inside the queue. Like they, he met everybody but LeBron, but like he met all the other like different uh like and Kevin Love still has that championship belt. And it's a, it's a heavyweight belt that has the Cavs logo. Like the the WWE will do this for different sports teams when they win championships. Like they'll give them a championship belt with their team logo on it. Uh, yeah, Kevin Love, like it's the happiest you've ever seen him standing beside uh, the Undertaker. And it's just the Undertaker just showed up that night. Like <laughs> it's amazing. So I didn't know that, but a yeah, that's that's amazing. But also, you brought up the fact that like you know Kevin Love was excited for the belt and still has it, and like there's also an element of this where a lot of the documentary, and I I don't mean this to because they're all interesting perspectives, but a lot of it is from guys who were in it with him talking about you know undertaker being amazing and and he is but there's a, a lot of younger fans who or i shouldn't even say younger but like th- there are certain sections of the film where we see him training with uh younger guys and talking to them about wrestling and like i want to know what their perspective is like mm-hmm. what do they see of his career like there's a lot of you know, a shout of Dave Batista being like, yeah, Undertaker's the man. And like, that's great. But like these kids who he's working with and yeah, I wish they'd have sh- shown some of that. And I, I'm skipping ahead, but I think it's like towards the end when he's preparing, he goes back to a shop and he works with some, some guys and gives them tips on their wrestling or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that would have been interesting to see like their perspective of like, this guy's a legend and we get to sit down with him like and yeah. talk about it. I, I wish there was more, I don't want to say realism about the wrestling wrestling. Cause they're, they're giving you all this information about him that you didn't have before. But at the same time, like I would love to have seen like him just talking about his career and the way he performed and how that related to those young guys and see some of their enthusiasm, you know, coming back at us. Like if you're going to, if you're going to pull the curtain back, yeah, those guys too. But then like, like, you know, why not get more into the technical side of like how they pulled off the storytelling they did, you know, like with him or what they knew they were confident they could do with him. Like if you're going to, if this, if this is the victory lap and celebration of this guy being a great performer, then it's okay to like, you know, to break the facade. Right. Cause he's already coming forward as you know himself. Right. Like, yeah, I just, I would have, would have gotten more of that. Like that room when he was um, in there looking at all the guys' tape and he kind of made a joke and they all laughed. Yeah. One of those wrestlers in that room, I recognize his name's Keith Lee. Dude's a monster, like huge dude. Um, his, his, uh, his catchphrase is basket my glory. It's amazing. I love him. Um, and he is now one of the like, like up and coming, like big names in the WWE. Like, and he's a big dude that can move. Like if you want to talk about like, Keith Lee wouldn't be where he is without somebody like the undertaker proving it's possible, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wish we'd have gotten more of him talking about it. Like that would have been cool. You're right. Like it would have been, yeah. Like if this guy, if this guy has impacted the business as much as he has, which clearly he has, I mean, there's no doubt about that. I, I would have well, liked I to have gotten also, more. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. No, I no, sorry please go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just, I think if you're talking about legacy, like legacy is those guys who, you know, have been watching him since they were kids and hearing like how he influenced them or just hearing his take. You know, like he talks about a little bit um, when he's 
reviewing like those uh, guys whose trains work, you know, he's like, oh, I think once they realized I wasn't there to tear them down and, you know, help them, you know, I, th- I think that like the room relaxed or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? He, he seems like a, just a really nice guy, but I'm like, I bet you he's a hell of an instructor. I want to see more of that. Yeah. I, I want to see more of he he's, he's actually, uh, I, I hesitate to say this because it'll probably get me stoned, but, and not in a good way, mm-hmm. but I feel like Mark Calloway's almost a more interesting character than the undertaker. <laughs> and I want to know who that guy is. And it's like, I kept getting vibes while watching it of Kane Hodder. Like Kane Hodder is this, you know, guy who has played Jason and Victor Crowley and all these horror characters and, and done all these stunts on, on films and, He's 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 iconic, you know, to anybody who loves Friday the 13th. And like you you hear him talk and like he's just like, you know, I mean, yeah, he has this spiel, you know, his stuff that he does where he's like, you know, like, oh, I have kill tattooed inside my mouth or, uh, you know, I'll choke somebody out in a photo photograph or whatever. But like he just seems like a really nice guy, like Kane Hodder to me is far more interesting than, say, Jason. So I got that vibe from from Mark Calloway or The Undertaker. I was like, uh, I want to know more about this guy. And uh, again, I understand it's it's a first time thing where he's he's opening his life up. But I, I I just felt like there were so many places they could have gone that they didn't. Yeah, no, I agree. So, um, yeah. So let, let's let's uh, get to. Uh, well, we get to the like his his ebbs and flows of the end of his career here. They'll, they'll like so after what was it? There was one of the um, he ended up like having a good match at Extreme Rules uh, with with Roman Reigns as his partner, um, which Roman Reigns I think had come back from leukemia at that point. So or it was something anyway. Roman, I, I like Roman Reigns now. I'm sympathetic to him. He's an okay guy, and he's a distant cousin of The Rock. That's okay, why. so yeah, a, yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know really anything about Roman Reigns other than what I learned in this documentary. So I'm going to stop you real quick. Yeah, are you telling me that guy beat leukemia and came back to wrestling? Yeah, like that's impressive as hell. I think what well, was like, leukemia or non Hodgkin's lymphoma? Either way, cancer. You know, either like, way, that's, yeah. that's yeah, he's back. Impressive. Yeah, he's back and. Yeah, dude, like, and also like in the behind the scenes stuff, you saw him like talking to Taker. He, yeah, he's he's actually he's a good dude. It just in, in terms of some performers, like like how some of the creative that that's put on them and the way they're supposed to carry themselves, I don't think are always good fits with certain with certain performers. And I think the way they've handled his character piss, it pisses me off. As like, I don't like Roman Reigns the character, but I think him as a person is pretty awesome. If that, you know, it's kind of like how I think a lot of people hate John Cena. I, I, I love him. He's an idiot sometimes, but like in terms of like what he does in the ring, but I love John Cena. Um, you know, so, but yeah, so that, that last match he had with, with, uh, Roman Reigns as his tag partner, uh, like it looked good. Like they, I know they kind of edited it together for the documentary, but it, he looked good and it was a nice, good, like soft retirement. And then, um, then I liked how. Like AJ Styles started sniffing out. He's like, wait, he's like, I think he has one more in him. I think he wants to go out on a high note. Um, was that your first real inter- like introduction to AJ Styles as a performer? Oh, absolutely. 
<laughs> what did you think of him? I know they, only, they didn't show him a lot in the documentary till the end. Uh, you, you talk about like a, a person that's younger. He's now in his forties, but talk about somebody that was influenced and is like an awe of like, did you not hear like the biggest fanboy ever talk about like, I can get the undertaker. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I liked it. And again, this goes back to, you know, separating out the person who's the, the wrestler and the actual character. But like, uh, I kind of thought he was a douche, but like everything that they revealed, like behind the scenes of him, he seemed like a really sweet guy. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I guess that's kind of his thing. I don't know if, I, I don't know if he, he, he didn't come off to me as, disrespectful or anything like that but he also he seemed like uh his persona i guess i i guess that's where i'm going with this i don't know what his persona is if he's heel or not but oh he, he's he just douchey yeah he's, he's a heel now uh okay. he, um he when he first entered uh the wwe a couple years ago like his hype was so big because he when he talked about new japan which i mentioned earlier see so i'm tying it back uh, he was part of, they had a, a stable over there called the um, Bullet Club, which they still do. Uh, and I, 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 and I'm absolutely terrible explaining all this, but it's like, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's the, you know, Degeneration X or whatever, like that's their stable. It's, it's the Bullet Club. Uh, the other two dudes that you saw uh, in that match we're about to talk about, uh, Gallows and Anderson were also part of the Bullet Club when they came over from New Japan. So they were all these villains over there. And then they come over here and it's like, they know how to be heels and they know how to work a crowd. And AJ Styles is a amazing wrestler and he is so much fun, but like to see him in interviews and like IGN, the video game website interviewed him for like one of the wrestling games, like two years ago, he's like the biggest gamer and like the biggest, like he loves playing these games with these kids. He loves doing all this stuff. It's like, he's like the nicest guy in the world. But when you saw his promo that he used to really be like, if we're going to get Taker out for one more match, I'm going to set his world on fire. And it's like, that's how you bring somebody back to the important when the entire, the entire crowd is pissed at you for ripping down the veil of the character that is the undertaker and calling him out as the man. That was an amazing promo. Yeah. I, I thought that, uh, going back to when you're talking about like him, just talking about maybe he's got one more in him. I do think it's interesting that he, he approached the undertaker before taking it to Vince McMahon or, or doing anything with that. And, um, I, I definitely sensed with AJ styles and admiration. I, I, I sense that with all the guys I don't. And again, it's a WWE, you know, documentary. So there's not going to be anybody who's going to be like, Oh yeah, the guy's a total asshole. Like they're they're They want to paint him in a, in a good light, but like, I don't get that from any of these guys. Actually, they all seem like just good dudes who are just, you know, happy to be performing and working with each other. Um, and I, I, I have to ask this though. Mm -hmm. I, and this is where I'm going to put you on the spot. So I'm going to apologize in advance. Uh, and I'm kind of changing the subject a little bit, but like Vince McNeil, uh, Vince McNeil. Vince, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Vince, Vince, Vince McNeil, McNeil the wrestler promoter no. also <laughs> lead singer. Yes. So what is your take on him? Because obviously this is a WWE production. So of course he only seems to have the undertaker's best, you know, interest at heart. And, 
is shown as like a lovable guy. Like, A, what is what is the perception of him among wrestling fans? And B, what is your own, I guess, thoughts on him? For me, there's a lot like tied into like how he has been a smart businessman and how he like, you know, took over a lot of the American markets, all that stuff, blah, 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 blah. What pisses me off is how he keeps the independent contractor portion of everything. So if someone basically there's no one employed by the WWE, they're all independent contractors, but yet they can't wrestle for anybody else. That's all complicated. John Oliver did a, um, an, an amazing 30 minutes about the WWE a couple of years ago on his show last week tonight that really gets at a lot of it. I think that Vince and Mark are friends. I think they've known each other so long that there's a legitimate relationship there. I think that's shown okay in the documentary because you can tell that Vince has a true affinity for Mark. And I think that might be one of the handful of guys, right? Um, Otherwise, though, you know... (laughs) I understand that human beings, like they have a range of emotions and the way they carry themselves is different from person to person, right? I mean, that's, you know, as much as we all want to feel that we're uniform towards everybody, that's not always the case. And I'm sure he's a complicated person. He's done a lot of dick things, but I don't doubt his loyalty and um, like caring for the well-being of Mark. However, there was that brief little bit they mentioned in the documentary whenever Undertaker was like, yeah, I was going to go do the signing. And Vince is like, you can't do that. And he's like, why? And it was like implied that, you know, Undertaker was like jumping ship. And it's like they they really jumped over that real quick, mm-hmm. you know. So that shows me that Vince does care about him. But when the business is being possibly interfered with, you're going to get a phone call from him. Yeah. And that's literally five minutes of a five hour documentary. Yeah. Which is it's unfortunate because the reason that I ask is, is that. And again, he's always portrayed in a positive light within this documentary. But there's also a point where I feel like in actually multiple points within the documentary where, you know, Undertaker says, if Vince needs me, I'm there. But there's never a moment I feel like where Vince is ever like, you know what, if this is bad for your well-being or health, I don't want you doing this. Like, and I understand that he's a businessman, so it's not his position to say that. But if he truly is his friend, <laughs> it never felt like, oh, I'll always leave the door open for you. It always felt like, well, if you feel like you can do it, let's, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, like, there's I, never yeah. ever like a point where I felt like I saw Vince McMahon really be like, you know what, maybe it's time. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> and I don't and you're know. right. I, I don't, you're not wrong about that. And I think that's always going to be, um, Vince, just from what I know of it, you know, you know, and I, I, I guess, you know, I, I just think that, you know, a true friend would be like, can you really do this? Like, let's seriously talk about this. Like I'll support you either way, but let's have a conversation about it. I would have, and again, that's asking too much of a documentary that is produced by WWE, but like, and, and that conversation may have never happened. And maybe that gives me my own conclusion about Vince McMahon, but I don't know. I, I was like, you're trying to show him as like a friend who loves him. And he's aware that the guy has been a huge boon for your business for, you know, over 20 some years going almost to 30. Yeah. I don't know. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more genuine concern out of Vince McMahon, other than like the teary, like, you know, conversation with the, 
with him that he has. And I don't even remember what the context was, but well, it so, certainly wasn't about. So I'll say this. Um, we'll be watching the Andre the Giant documentary. Um, whenever Andre had his big last match, like was WrestleMania three, um, where he had to use like the, the stair cart to come in, you know, like, and he, yeah. he, he masterfully pulled off the storytelling cause he couldn't move. Right. Do you think right. Vince was like, no, no, please, please. No people, people keep wanting to pay money to see you. Oh no. Like you never heard that part of the story, you know? Like, so yeah, I, I think there's some, I think there's, there's stuff there that, we're not going to know unless you talk to people that are, are out of contract and out of there. I, I get it. Yeah. Like I get it. He's a businessman first. I, I completely yeah. understand that, but I, I feel like the desire to portray him as a good guy seemed to also, um, conflict with who, 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 at least the perceived version of him. I don't know. No, I, those are all based on my perceptions though. I, I, I it's unfair for me to be like, yeah, I want to see him say like, hey, I don't want you killing yourself over this or whatever. Well, and consider, that's an unfair. Consider this, too. Um, so we're going to talk about this, uh, this Boneyard match. That's the last match, supposedly, of The Undertaker's We're going to get there, folks. Like, I apologize. No, no, because in regards to this most recent WrestleMania, um, that was supposed to go on, uh, you know, in Florida. And then, you know, the plague hit. And so everyone's like, you, you know. Everything stopped. Sports, everything stopped. We got to see what's going to go on, but we can't have large groups of people. But then Vince McMahon could like somehow convince Florida that the WWE was the central service <laughs> and, and that they could keep performing. Um, and he was like, WrestleMania is going to be a two night event. Like you asked that question of like, do you think they take a step back and be like, Oh, we got like, I don't know if we should do this. I think, I think that tells you enough about him. You know, in terms of like, nope, we're going to have this WrestleMania, you know, and I understand there's the potential people can get exposed and get infected, but, you know, we're going to bring, we're going to do this anyway, you know, and it was a nice welcome, you know, reprieve from everything going on, but that doesn't make it any less dangerous, you know, so, um, but that became the fertile ground for this last match between AJ Styles and The Undertaker, where it was actually supposed to be an actual match, like in a ring. But then they changed it to like this, you know, area offsite. Um, and I love that whole thing talking about how they took like this, like this weird, like, I don't know, farm area uh, and they turned it into a set. But then you also get like the added emotional terribleness of like of the undertaker getting a phone call, and finding out his brother passed away of a heart attack suddenly, like the night before they're supposed to film this match in a graveyard. Yeah, I, I just uh, you may have to edit there. I apologize. But, My mic was off. No, no, you were so distraught. I get it. You know, you know, I understand. It's an intense moment. No, and that's that's essentially very similar to what I was saying about the shallower waters. Is that like we get this very life changing news to find out that his sibling is passed right before a match like this, and there's like a couple minutes spent on it, and then it's just onto the match. And I understand that that's not the sexy story here, but. I, for a documentary, I expected they would have gone into it more. Yeah, but so that being said, um, they end up doing what they call a cinematic match where they shoot the entire night and then, you know, they do some different things. Um, did you actually get to sit down and watch? It's like a 25-minute match. Did you actually watch it? I did. I watched it right before we started recording. Oh, so you're amped up, right? Yep. So what do you, what do you think, like, as that presentation, what, what do you think of that match as a whole? 
I thought it was interesting that uh, The Undertaker entered and left to Metallica. <laughs> but did you also like how during the documentary it was like, check it out on Spotify right now. It's like, God damn it, <laughs> WWE. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, he uh, Metallica. Uh, but then, yeah, I don't know. I just think that for um, putting somebody in the best possible position to look their strongest on the way out, I think it was a great job. I think AJ Styles... Uh, knows how to sell like in terms of like he knows how to elevate a match and i i thought i thought it was if this is the last time we see him perform i think it was a really fun way to go out i agree i i I thought that it was well done i will say though that i missed some of the i I hate to put it this way because it sounds so i don't know uh, it sounds shitty to say it this way, but I missed some of the theatrics, and I realize it's all theatrics. Yeah, it's a cinematic match. <laughs> I, I, I I missed being able to climb up on you know the top of the the the, the top tight tightrope. I, I, I the top I, buckle, turn yeah. buckle. Yeah, sorry. Um, I missed being able to like suddenly throw somebody into a chair, and it it was cool, but it didn't feel like wrestling in a lot of ways to me. That's fair. I just think though, that if, if they had been wrestling in an empty arena, I don't know if that would have felt also appropriate for the undertaker. So, um, but whatever, I just, I think the best possible situation in terms of creative output, I think they did good. Uh, but so, so to wrap it all up, I think, I think it's important to, if people want to give this documentary a chance, I know we kind of shit on some parts of it. There's a lot of good here. There's a lot of good, like just seeing the man that we wish, I wish we would have saw more of the man. Um, and I think it's, it's a rare moment for someone to actually finally be like, this is, this is me. This is who I am. And to be, be somewhat honest about it and exposed in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's worth the watch. Uh, I think it's something that, again, this goes back to whether it's, you know, anything we talk about, whether artists, uh, you know, the wrestlers, uh, anybody that creates and storytellers, he, he was telling effective stories, engaging stories in the ring for 30 years and I think while he is still here, which he is, um, I think it's it's perfectly wonderful to celebrate what someone has done. And you always want to like like you mentioned yourself, like, you know, going to church and then watching wrestling and seeing The Undertaker. That's part of your life. That's part of your growing up. The Undertaker character is there. That music of his, his entrance music is so iconic that even if you're not a wrestler, a wrestling fan. Uh, I'm sure people know that music as, oh shit, something bad's about to happen, right? So I think this is one of those guys that shaped a lot of love of pop culture in terms of like joy of entertainment um, in a lot of ways that maybe people aren't even directly aware of, but he's been there. He's been that presence, you know? And I, I, you know, I'm glad I had a chance to watch the documentary and I'm glad that he actually had the wherewithal to at least have cameras follow him around for a lot of it. I, I think I texted this to you when I was uh, talking about the documentary or at least my general thoughts on it before we recorded. But like that bell is super iconic. Like as somebody who hasn't watched wrestling in, you know, 27 years or whatever, you know, it, I still got chills hearing it. Like I felt the same way that I did when I was a 16 year old kid, you know, sitting on my bed watching wrestling on a like 12 inch screen or whatever, you know, it was, it was ridiculously small, the TV I had in my bedroom, but like, I, I don't know. Like it, 
I got the same feeling watching him as I did when I was a kid. And, and that's, that's the thing that I thought was kind of cool about that Boneyard match that you talked about. Admittedly, while, while I didn't get the energy that I would have out of an actual match, I, I still like was impressed with the levels that he went with. And the fact that, you know, he actually like cuts his arm open (laughs) at one point and, uh, that's all real. And, um, the knocks that these guys take on their body are, are definitely real, but I, I just, I don't know. I, there's a special place I think for his character of the undertaker. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I do wonder as I look at, cause I'll be canceling my WWE subscription. Cause unfortunately I just don't have enough time to really get into current wrestling and, I don't know. I, I I'm like I would it's, just it's a commitment. watch old. Yeah, yeah, it's a commitment. But I would also just probably sit there and watch old matches, because um, <laughs> that's my comfort zone and that's the way I liked it. Um, Is Hacksaw uh, Jim Duggan going to win this one? I don't know. We're going to find out. <laughs> it's him and the one man gang. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I guess, um, but at the same time, I also do miss that. Is is it the last ride? Is it not only just the end of the Undertaker, but is it the end of an era? I guess is a better question. I think so. I think it's the end of like that. Like you're like, I don't know. Aside from like maybe John Cena, you don't really have like that company man for the WWE anymore, right? Like you have people that that are good for the company and that um, enjoy like 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 obviously AJ Styles likes being there. Uh, but you know, who, who is the face of the company? Who is that? Br- like, like Hulk Hogan forever was the WWF. Right. And then like, you, I don't know if you have, I don't know if you're going to have that, like that big of a, a shadow anymore. Like, you know, the rocks on other things, like who, who's going to be the face now? Who's going to be the face of the company? Well, I do wonder too, if that is not a pro a problem, but, um, you look at John Cena is clearly following in the Rock's footsteps, and I I don't mean that as a disrespect to John Cena because I thought like Trainwreck he was one of the funniest things in it, um, but I just I, I can't help but wonder like that's probably the goal. I think all the guys who are doing it are probably like wanting to be a Rock or John Cena or whatever the next thing is, and then go on to make films. I, the Undertaker, I don't, I don't ever get that he wanted to do anything but wrestle. Well, like, he, he was in um, uh, Suburban Commando. Uh, he was one of the aliens in that uh, with Hulk I Hogan. I stand corrected. Yeah. No, but I, I guess the other person I'd bring up is Triple H because he's still with the company because not only is he still with the company developing things, he's married to Stephanie McMahon. So, you know, um, I think Triple H is one of, like he's one of the last of like that old guard, but even he came along a little later than undertaker did, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a good question. So I think this is in a lot of a ways there's, um, you know, you it's, it's like, um, here, I'll give you this example and it's not quite exactly right. And that's what I'm best at. Uh, in the, was it the late eighties, early nineties, the AHL wanted to incorporate like, like the use of helmets, meaning that you had to wear a helmet, and the players that originally were playing for a while were like, we, well, we started playing hockey without helmets. We don't want one. And so they made this rule of anybody that was drafted uh, to a certain year, they had the option of wearing a helmet or not. And then anybody drafted after that year was forced to wear a helmet. 
So there's a certain era. So when you get to like the, was it the early nineties there, uh, the New York Rangers in the Stanley cup final, there was one dude skating around without a helmet. Cause he was the last guy left. That was of that, like that last draft class that could not choose to not wear a helmet. So as dangerous as that is, you see this kind of sea change of like, there were different times, there were different styles and things do change. And I think with the undertaker retiring, like knock on wood, um, that's one of them. Yeah. And I'll think, you know, I'll think, I think as, as, as I, I, I review the documentary or, or we talk about it, I, I realize that like you and I seem to have a lot of the same issues with it. So I think that's more in line of critiquing the documentary than either the, the subject matter or the environment in which it's made, obviously the WWE, but, um, I don't know. I, 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 I think of that Andre the Giant documentary, and I think like we got just as much, if not more, out of that than this documentary, which had over double the time of that that Andre the Giant documentary. Yeah, put it that way. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, I, I, so there's some there's some missed opportunities for sure. But I'm glad we watched it. Uh, any anything else about um, the, the world's oldest man wrestling that has uh, robot hips that is now retired? No, I, I, I'm honestly, I, I, I could watch more of it if it was more concise, I guess. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that I, I, I'm not saying that I wouldn't watch more of the last ride. I just wish there had been more. I, I need a half hour series of Mark Calloway sitting around like a bar, just telling stories about it, his time. That, wrestling. Yeah, that's, that's what that's, I want. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. yeah. That's what I want. I want him just telling everything. Cause you know, you know, he has some stories, so that's what I would like to have, but yeah, no, I'm glad we watched this. Um, yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's all I can say. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, there's things I wish there had been different about the documentary, but that's, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but it was cool to see behind the mask or behind the hat or whatever appropriate term. Um, and I hope that, uh, that we will take time to in the future. Cause there's always bits of wrestling that I still think are, are worthy of attention and digging into, even if we're not the well-versed in regards to the day-to-day and um, those involved. I still think there's a lot of fun to be had there and a lot of good conversation. Yeah, I'm open to talking more about wrestling. And I'm obviously I'm a little gun shy because I don't have the knowledge that you do or even the experience, you know, not being a current wrestling fan, but um, I, 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 I don't know. I wish that uh, I wish that this had been a better documentary, but I I would be absolutely open to watching and learning more about Mark Calloway and the Undertaker, and uh, and maybe there's plenty of that content on WWE, and I'm just unaware of it. So <laughs> I, yeah, all I know is that I went I went to go uh, look up YouTube videos of Paul Bearer today. Like, there's only a handful. Most of everything's locked behind WWE, so they have like this death grip on Paul Bearer. So I was mm-hmm. trying to get my Paul Bearer voice and I'm like, how am I supposed to hear him without videos? And, um, yeah. So I watched the one video and I just like, I, your Paul Bearer at the beginning, it would be much better <laughs> than anything I was going to do. So, yeah. I, oh, I, Paul, <laughs> it's in your name, Paul. Yeah. You Steve. can do it. <laughs> like, it's just like, <laughs> like he always be like, Oh, I know there's like that light, slight tremble and he, you know, you don't even know, <laughs> you know, like just, yeah. 
Anyway, and I I guess that's the other thing that I, I should I neglected to say about this is that I do wish, and I realize there have always been wrestlers who have been personalities, but I, I wish there were more characters in current wrestling, and maybe there are, and I'm unaware of it, but that's. I wish there's more managers because I feel like there's a lot of uh, Japanese superstars that come over here that English is um, a barrier at times. I wish they had more managers to kind of speak on their behalf because I think you'd have a lot more fun with them being the mouthpiece. But that's just me. Well, that's that's the other thing that I I wondered about with Mark Calloway and I realized we're ending the piece, but just that uh, I'm surprised that like, you know, a, a guy who's been with the company 30 years, like why is there a point where it's like, okay, well he's, he's managing so-and-so now and he's, you know, there to do like the occasional like light footwork or, you know, wrestling work or whatever, because everybody knows that he's a former wrestler, but now he's just primarily, primarily a manager. Like, I guess with like football and and baseball and basketball, the, the higher ups who are within the companies typically retire and then they just become commentators. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that there hasn't been like a manager position or a commentator position or something created for the undertaker that uh, could continue that without him having to wrestle. I'm sure if he wanted it, they would find it, you know? So that's fair. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for our discussion about the undertaker. Um, Maybe not. Maybe we'll be back next week talking about it again. Cause we may have been like, you know what? That discussion wasn't very good. We got one more good one in us and then we're going to train all week and then come back. And then one of us is going to tear a pectoral muscle. That's what's going to happen. But anyway, that's I, I yeah. tear my pectorials for you guys every week, every so, week yeah, from all, so you know. because he does all the heavy lifting for the show. See, that's I get it. You know, I get it. You know, um, I just I just come through and just knock stuff over. Steve's the one that does all the power moves. So, yeah, uh, let's go do a far discussion about The Undertaker Last Ride. You guys can let us know your thoughts about uh, the documentary uh, or The Undertaker in general. Maybe you have a really cool T-shirt that's been washed 100,000 times that you still wear that you can't even see The Undertaker on anymore, but you know it's a shirt. Um, yeah, let us know, share pictures of shirts that we can't see. I don't know. That doesn't make sense. Uh, you can, uh, find us, uh, you can email us directly to invading podcast at Gmail. We have a blog that, um, is covered in a thick layer of graveyard dust. Um, I know I need to go back and update it, but it's invasion of There's all sorts of wonderfully poorly worded reviews, um, of, of different things that I have looked at. Um, that sounds like a glowing recommendation for the blog, but it's there. Uh, you, wherever you find your podcasts, uh, whether Apple podcasts, uh, YouTube, uh, and YouTube and Google music are collapsing together, like in this big black hole of whatever podcasts are out there. However you find us to listen to us, please rate and review us. They'd be greatly appreciated. And Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at the Saturday night slasher.com. You can find me at Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher, and you can find me on Twitter under the Saturday Slasher. Perfect. All right. So now that we had this long talk about uh, wrestlers and gimmicks, I thought it'd be fun to end tonight with finding out what Steve's wrestling name and gimmick would be. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. It would feel weird to do this game section and then be like, oh, yeah, Triple H. That's his music. So, yeah, like, why? I almost completely biffed that. That would have been terrible. Um, so, yeah, anyway, back um, many, many moons ago, uh, there we did, we did a, a show 
um, which we talked about glow season three, uh, the episode. And I actually have this, I actually put this in my notes. It is episode 201. Um, it is called the fabulous sugar smack, uh, was the name of the episode because that was the <laughs> name of the wrestler that, uh, Steve, uh, we, we generated, right? So mm-hmm. I went back and listened to that. Um, and so I decided to come up with uh, the same thing where we will roll a dice and figure out attributes. I changed it a little bit. So the first thing we're going to determine, so you have a dice, you have a die with you one through six. I have one right in front of me. All right. Perfect. Um, like I feel like I'm doing like a long distance magic trick. Okay. Um, so the first thing we're going to determine is if you, Steve, are a heel or a face. So that's the important thing. So one through three, you're a heel. Four through six, you're a face. So let me know. Are you a good guy or a bad guy? I'm a six. So you, you I am are a, a face. heel. No, you're a face. Oh, I'm face. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you're taking a heel turn immediately. I don't know how I feel about that. All right. So <laughs> category two is the first uh, part of your name. Uh, so one through six, I'll tell you, one would be amazing. Two is unflappable. A three is prestigious. Four is small business owner. Five is gluten sensitive. And six is orange. So let me know what the first part of your name is. I may actually be gluten sensitive. <laughs> uh, well, you better roll five. Like, just... <laughs> I just thought it was ironic. Although, uh, the unflappable also reminded me of one of my favorite, uh, scrubs jokes when, uh, Michael J. Fox is on, uh, JD looks at me. He's like, wow, you're really unflappable. He's like, that's right. I can't be flapped. So <laughs> let me roll the dice here. I got a one. You're the amazing. You're the, the amazing, the, the face. That's amazing. So then um, category three is the second part of your name. So one would be claw hammer. So you could be the amazing claw hammer. Two is Bedazzler. Uh, nice. Three is Pet Rock. Four is Close Talker. Five is Inside Out Skeleton. I don't know what that means, but I like writing it. <laughs> and the number six is Steve. So you could just be the amazing Steve if you roll a six. I'm hoping for five. <laughs> okay. I got a two. What was number two again? Bedazzler. So you are the amazing oh. Bedazzler. All right. So now we got to come up with rhinestones. <laughs> you, you, you bedazzled your own jeans. So uh, next we got to come up with your costume, right? So these are all parts of your costume for the amazing Bedazzler. Uh, number one is tasteful assless chaps. Two is one of those cones that you put around a dog's head to keep him from biting itself. Um, three is novelty overly large sunglasses. <laughs> which I think would be great for the bedazzler. Uh, number four is a barrel with shoulder straps. Um, <laughs> number five is a top hat that also has a pity farthing bicycle. So that's one of those with a big wheel. Yeah. Front, yeah. And number six is a members only jacket. Oh, I'm kind of hoping for number six. Cause I think that that's the, the only one I could pull off. And I got a six. Woo. So you got, so you're the amazing bedazzler with a members only jacket. I like it. <laughs> so here's where I swerve a little bit from the original list. Uh, now we're going to figure out your nemesis. Like, so your face, whoever that heel is out there that you guys generate heat in the ring. And that's the person that you despise the most. That's the person All you right. call out in your, your poem. When you cut a promo is the number one, the dietitian. Uh, <laughs> Number two, Mr. Fister. Uh, Number three, Pope John Maul III. 
<laughs> number four is the Karen. Number five is the Great Pyramid Scheme. Uh, and then number six is guy who only talks to you when he helps moving stuff. <laughs> oh, they're all pretty good. Uh, let's see here. Mr. Fister is definitely an interesting one. Uh, I got a one. So your one nemesis again? is the dietitian. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That could not be truer. Oh, good thing. We didn't do the gluten sensitive thing too. This would have all been lining up all sorts of wrong. Um, and the assless chaps. That would have been just been all wrong. It would have been all wrong. So number six here is what is your intro music when you come into the ring? Is number one, is it Yakety Sax? Uh, number two, is it Baby Shark? Uh, no. Number three, is it Lowrider by the band War? Uh, number four is If You Want to Be My Lover by the Spice Girls. Number five is Mambo Number Five by Lou Bega. That's probably why I thought <laughs> of it. Uh, and number six is Any Song by Nickelback. Oh, Jesus. I'll take anything but six. <laughs> I got a two. Got a two. So Baby Shark is your intro music. I love it. <laughs> All right. All right. Here's here's the part I think I think we're gonna lose Steve. He's going to just we're never he's never gonna come back from this. All right. So number seven is your catchphrase. Number one. <laughs> All right. Did somebody say tacos? <laughs> uh, I'm good with that. Okay. Number two. Someone has a case of the Mondays. <laughs> I do love me some office space, though. Um, is that is that what that's from? I just okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, number three, stranger danger. That's uh, uh, number four. Where's the beef? Um, <laughs> number five, I smell toast. Oh. oh my god! Am I having a stroke? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then number, number six is shut up, stepdad. <laughs> well, I, I know that you probably want the last one. I, I don't say, know. Uh... <laughs> Whatever. All, all these are wonderful to me. I, I, I personally, if I, I like, I smell toast or did somebody say tacos? That's my two favorite <laughs> ones. I just assume with your Andy Sandberg, uh, oh, shut up, stepdad. Yeah. From yeah. 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 That's, that feels right. I got four. <laughs> Where's the beef? That's your catchphrase. <laughs> Which right. seems accurate to me as a person. <laughs> All right. And now and now we're gonna figure out what your signature move is. This is the last thing, right? So we got we got the amazing bedazzler whose whose enemy oh sorry, who whose outfit is a members only jacket. Their enemy is the dietitian. Your the intro music is Baby Shark. Your catchphrase is where's the beef? <laughs> and your signature move is either one, the flying headbutt. Two, an East German suplex. Three, the credit check. Uh, four, the armpit fart of doom. Five, the steamroller. Because I think of um, I think of Strange Brew when they do the steamroller to each other. And, nice. then, and then number six, the gravy boat. I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> I like the idea of the gravy boat, especially since my... My uh, competition is the dietitian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got number four. Oh, the armpit fart of doom. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I just want to know what an, I just I don't know what an East German suplex is. I just know it's more strict than a West German suplex. I know that. Um, so yeah, that that's it. That's your that's your wrestler. There you go. That's that's who you are, and that's what you do. 
I'll um, take it. I just, I wish you would, I wish your catchphrase was, I smell toast, but you know, we'll deal with that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's going to do it for this show uh, for this week. Hope everybody has a safe week. Uh, be safe. Um, don't do dumb things. Uh, we're, we're, so speaking, okay, that's a good transition. Cause I did, I did do a dumb thing. Uh, I was thinking about what to do for next week for the show. And I know we had just recently done a year animation, but you know how this goes sometimes, guys. It's like, yeah, it's not two weeks, another cartoon or whatever. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. 1997's Perfect Blue. It's a Japanese animated psychological thriller film that I have seen multiple times. I love. Steve has never seen it. Um, here's the dumb thing. I went to go see if it was available with streaming, and it's like, oh, Amazon Prime. I clicked it, and it's like, um, you know, you've now rented it. I'm like, oh. So I better ask Steve if we're going to watch it next week. So I have now rented this film. Um it's four bucks on Amazon to watch. It's a wonderful, cool, psychological, like Alfred Hitchcock-like anime. And I think this would be a lot of fun to dig into for your animation. Because I've been, this is one I've been, like, been wanting to talk about, like, forever. And it just recently got, like, put out on Blu-ray uh, about a year and a half ago. And it's beautiful. Uh, it's just my copy is currently far, far away from me in a house that's quarantined. So I guess I got to rent it. I hope you guys do, too. I hope you join us for that. It'll be a fun talk. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Uh, this is going to be one of those rare, I shouldn't say rare, because I, I've probably seen half of what we've watched and half we haven't uh, so far in the year of animation. We'll put this in the column of things that I haven't seen before. So I'm, I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, so that's going to do it. Uh, so next week, Perfect Blue, uh, this week, uh, Undertaker, I don't know, Smelling Toast, Gravy Boat, all that stuff. See you guys next week.